Welcome to the Perfectly Integrated Podcast, hosted by Matt Ackerman, where we show the power of teamwork in wealth management. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to Perfectly Integrated. I'm your host, Matt Ackerman. You know, we've gotten used to calling 2020 historic and unprecedented for all the wrong reasons. But what if we found a reason to call it historic for the right reason? 2020 was a historic year for wealth management M&A. Recruiting and mergers are just at incredible levels right now. But why? And what does this mean for 2021 and beyond? To get all the right answers, I've assembled two good friends of mine to walk through all of this with us. And today is going to be a lot of fun because I'm joined by Mark Bruno from Echelon Partners and Rob Sandrew from Integrated. Mark and I spent nearly a decade together at Investment News, Rob, and for a large period of that time, I sat in the desk directly across from Mark and probably irritated him quite a bit with my general enthusiasm and chipperness. So, Mark, welcome. It's good to be back. <laughs> Rob, Rob, now see, Mark, Rob uh, is probably one of the reasons I'm here at Integrated. He just has just a great passion for this firm, for this industry. He gave me a cheat sheet for most of my interviews. So, Rob, if this goes wrong, it's all your fault. You weren't supposed to tell anybody that. <laughs> <laughs> see, I am. I, I just have loose lips, and we know what they do to ships. So we'll see how it goes. Mark, set the stage for us. What did we see when it came to financial advisor M and A in twenty twenty? First, Matt, thanks for having me. Thank you to the integrated team for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, we've had a lot of discussions recently just about M and A activity, of course, in twenty twenty and what's ahead for twenty twenty one. There are a few things that I would put at eye level that really made. M&A activity remarkable in 2020. You know, for one, in our own research, we saw that there were a total of 205 deals that took place. We're looking at firms that are over 100 million in assets under management. Um, and that was actually a record level in terms of total number of transactions. The amazing thing was if you look back at the first half of the year, the second quarter in particular, after COVID spread as quickly as it did, the markets dropped, a lot of deals just went sideways, right? Nothing really fell apart, but they were delayed quite a bit. And we saw a four-year low in M&A activity during the second quarter in terms of the three-month period. Almost you know, instantly when markets leveled off and we started to hit June, we saw activity pick up at rates we hadn't seen before. A lot of it was everybody got back to work right on some of these deals at the exact same time. And then there were a lot of other reasons that people were looking to get deals done by the end of the year. Really, the remarkable run, third quarter, 55 deals, all-time record. Long comes fourth quarter, we saw 69 deals, which was, of course, now the new record, which you know, this late surge really pushed 2020 into territory that we suspected we might see you know, early in the year. Then COVID came across, of course, and a lot of different question marks. Um, but it's really just remarkable and speaks to the resilience of the wealth management and the RIA segment in particular, just how much value and how much appreciation the industry overall now has. That's incredible. Rob, are you seeing similar things on the recruiting side, this upswing in the second half of the year? Yeah, I would say similar to what Mark said, there was certainly this big pause where everyone was just trying to get their feet you know, grounded, if you will, in March and April. And I think that there, there certainly was a pause a little past that. And then particularly in the fourth quarter, things really started to pick up. Beginning in 2021, I mean, we're seeing activity that I have not seen in in, in my my history of recruiting and my history of integrated. So it's it's great to see. And I think what one of the realization certainly was back in 2020 when everyone was working from home was a lot of these organizations that provided infrastructure and provided a fair amount of uh, uh, of 
what we'll call home office resources, a lot of advisors were essentially doing a lot themselves and realized, maybe I don't need this infrastructure and maybe I can actually go out and, and, and work more on the independent side without, say, one of the wirehouse organizations. And, and instead of being paid, say, 40 cents on the dollar, I can certainly have a, a significant increase in my payout and find a full service organization that is actually independent. So we're seeing quite a bit of that in the uh, tail end of the fourth quarter into, into 2021. Mark, is that what you're seeing? Are you seeing advisors move? What's what's making them make this move now? What's what's their motivation? Sure, there are a lot of different factors. There are a couple that I would put at eye level. One thing I should mention is obviously the number of deals was at a record high. One of the things that gets overlooked and I think is really interesting is the size of the firms that were acquired was also at a record size. We saw on average a seller was about $1.8, $1.9 billion in assets under management. Um, that's pretty incredible, right? That's an all-time high, of course. It's increased almost every year for the last seven or eight years. But it does tell you something about you know the sophistication of the firms that are selling. It's some of the largest firms in the industries that they're not just thinking about exit planning, right? They're thinking about succession in many cases. What drove a lot of activity wasn't just, you've heard the story for years that average advisor is at or near retirement. That may be true, but it's also a really good business to be in. And there are a lot of people that don't want to leave, right? I think you've seen a lot more creativity in some of the deal structures. Some of the buyers that are out there aren't just looking to buy and push the owner or owners out. They're really thinking more about transitions where you do a deal. Obviously, you know the buyer in most cases is going to take a majority interest, if not you know, full ownership of the firm itself. But there are lots of ways that deals are being structured right now so that they're incentivizing the sellers for growth and you know, excellent performance right over the next one, three, five years in some cases. So I think it's not just the number, right? But when you look at the size and the sophistication of some of the sellers, you look at obviously the buyers, and we can talk about that in a little bit too. But you know, the, the entire M&A industry process ecosystem, if you will, got much more mature in a really short period of time. And a lot of the seeds for this were planted in 2018, 2019, but 2020 is where really we saw, especially you know, in the second half of the year, that people floor it in, in deal making. Robert, are you seeing that too, that uh, succession planning and, and, and larger firms that are, that are making moves now, is that, is that some things you're seeing too on the recruiting side? Yeah, most definitely. I think the, the average advisory firm profile of, of folks that are moving uh, seems to be higher, more, more sophisticated, certainly. Again, I think a lot of that has to do with this continual evolution on the independent side of providing full service, right? And having those, those resources that uh, um, some of these, these groups coming out of, say, the wirehouses, they didn't think that really they could emulate that on the independent side. And in fact, it's becoming more common knowledge that those resources are available. So most certainly we've seen an uptick in, in the size of deals out there and the level of sophistication and complexity around them. Mark, you mentioned the buyers. Is the array of buyers changing? Is who's buying changing uh, in 2020 and as you look ahead to 2021 too? Yes and no, right? And I know everybody who hosts a podcast loves that answer. Loves that answer. <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, on the surface, especially when you look at the media or you just sort of hear about firms that are interested in the wealth management space, there are a lot of prospective or potential buyers, a lot of new entrants. But when you really look under the hood, 
it's a small number of firms that are doing a lot of the buying. And when we look at some of the most active acquirers this year, you know, CI Financial, Hightower, Creative Planning, these firms are responsible for a tremendous number of the transactions that have taken place. I think the buyers are getting much more sophisticated. They're also getting injections of capital from the private equity industry. So they have the capacity to go out and do more deals. And I think in the process, you know, a lot of those firms are also really establishing themselves as a good home for an advisory firm that's looking to sell or looking to transition. And you're starting to see this emergence of professional buyers. You know, that's a term that we sort of make up, but a big part of their business model is dependent on inorganic growth and doing acquisition. They're really changing the game. And I think just the only final thought on that is the role or the presence of these professional buyers it used to be if there was upmarket, ton of buyers, right? Everybody's in a position to do a deal or most people who are interested are in a decent position. Down market, it dries up, right? Now that you have in firms that are looking to do mergers and acquisitions as part, a core part of their business model, and they have the capacity to do it in up markets and down markets, you don't see things dry up the way that they used to, right? Deal making has become a much more constant presence or a much more constant consideration in the wealth management industry than it ever has been before. Rob, you were talking about the strength of the fourth quarter. When you see this momentum building, it makes everybody go, so can this possibly continue? When you look ahead to 2021, what's your expectations? How's the pipeline look? I, I think we're just in the beginning stages of, of a significant move and, and a lot of RIA activity, meaning, say, smaller RIAs that want greater scale are looking at organizations that have that in place and that they can essentially partner with to leverage that infrastructure. So I'm very, very optimistic and excited about what the next couple of years looks like, quite frankly. You know, evidence of that is I would say our pipeline in 2021 is, like I said before, probably something I haven't seen historically in the the business. And, and, And again, the level of Activity is is at its height. The deals that we're seeing, the complexity and the size are certainly bigger than we had seen before. And just the overall sophistication of the advisors. And, and again, there, there just is this constant evolution in the independent space that's providing more choice, providing more capabilities, more sophistication. And I think it's just becoming more common knowledge that this is a, a very, you know, very exciting time of, uh, of uh, we'll, we'll call it phase of the independent model for a lot of folks that, that didn't think that they could actually take their business and go independent. This is an exciting phase, Mark. Um, you know, I was looking at the Echelon numbers for the past several years, and they just keep ticking, ticking, ticking upward. Is this something that can persist as well? Or you know, do we reach a cliff at some point in terms of this, the, the deal-making that's happening? You could definitely hit a cliff at some point, but I don't think it'll happen anytime soon. I think just naturally when you step back and you look at the big picture, there were, or there are, I should say, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 25,000 to 30,000 RIA firms, state and SEC registered. That's a massive number of firms and it's an incredibly fragmented industry. So I think, you know, M&A is bringing the business a lot closer together. Um, and while it's consolidating, it's certainly not consolidating at the rate things consolidated in other industries like you know the accounting industry. So I don't think we're going to get anywhere near you know, sort of this wirehouse look and feel in the RIA segment. And I do think you know, one thing you know, we're seeing now, the pipeline is still very, very strong. I think people are starting to understand 
that a, a, a transaction is much more than just, I'm going to sell my business, cash out and move on. It is a real way to grow your business. There are a lot of firms that have been doing, like I said, these sell and stay arrangements where they may be able to plug into the platform of a much larger organization, offload some of the things that they're not very good at, like technology, back office, you know, some of the compliance, you know, even just the professional management of the firm and focus on the things that they are really good at, investing money, working directly with clients, doing you know, business development. Really, in a lot of ways, while the transactions are sales or acquisitions, you could look at them philosophically as mergers, right? That would allow the individuals who own the firms to focus on the things that they're really good at, to really focus on organic growth and all the things that they wanted to focus on for the last couple of years. But the larger you get, right, the, the, the harder it is for you as an individual partner to make contributions that are going to move the needle, right? So you have to ask, what are my options? And M&A has become a top option, if not the number one option for some of the leading firms in the industry. It's so interesting. I can remember one of my early conversations with Rob where I got my hand slapped pretty good was I was like, well, you know, probably there's advisors looking at succession or retirement and that's why they're coming. And he's like, no, this is a growth story. Rob, talk to us about that. You know, you're seeing a lot of these growth minded advisors that are looking to join a firm like Integrated so that they can continue that that growth story. Yeah, I would say that is probably, you know, the number one lever for our organization is when advisors really feel like they've hit a ceiling and they're looking for an organization that can really get them to the next level, so to speak, in terms of maybe going up market, working with higher end clients. You know, again, I think that if you look back 10 years ago, maybe even five years ago, a lot of people thought independence was a go independent and you're on your own. And you're, you know, it's an island and essentially you've got to figure everything out. Whereas now there's a number of firms out there and obviously integrated and included where you can really plug into an infrastructure and, and leverage resources, capabilities, intellectual capital, and, and continue to evolve your business model to even go up, up market, work with ultra high net worth, significant family wealth business owners, whatever it may be, there, there's a lot of choice out there. It's a way in which advisors can really look at going independent, affiliating with a firm like ours, and not feel like they're leaving anything on the table like they would, you know, say five years ago, leaving a wirehouse. Well, look ahead five years, 10 years, Mark, when you think about where the industry's heading, what should we be prepared for? What does the industry look like? Is it is it a few consolidated firms? This consolidation just continue to ramp up. You know what are what are your expectations as we look a little further on out into the horizon? I think you know five to ten years always tough. So don't hold me to this, right? Especially when you think about what this past year has looked like, right? It feels like a dog year. You know, I remember years ago having a conversation with Philip Olive when we were at Investment News, and he was our partner on the development of the Moss Adams and the benchmarking research. And we were talking about the rise of billion dollar plus firms. And he used this analogy to celebrity chefs and how an individual like Danny Meyer turned what was one or two really hot restaurants, right? That did great business. You couldn't get a reservation for weeks, if not months at a time into a franchise, right? A national presence. I actually still feel like that's a great example. It doesn't necessarily need to be built around an individual's name or brand. And in fact, in many cases, it probably shouldn't. I think we'll start to see 
like I said, I don't think it's going to be four or five firms that are dominating, but I do think we will have 20 to 30 firms that are you know, market dominators, whether it's in a specific region or it's a specific lane or uh, area of expertise that they have or a specific niche. We'll see, right? But I do think some of the randomness and you know, the fragmentation that's been in the independent channel for a really long time will start and is in the process of just working itself out. I think it'll probably be closer to maybe 25 firms to let's call it 50 to give me a little wiggle room here when you roll back the table in 10 years. That'll be responsible for the majority of the assets, clients, revenue, and ultimately the earnings that are produced by the channel. Rob, what do you think? What's your expectation? Mark's comment uh, in terms of time, I mean, five years in this industry is like a lifetime. It feels like two years is a lifetime at, at this point. And, and I, I agree. I think there's going to be a handful of players over time that are really dominating the industry. Again, because I think the, the uh, opportunity sets around scale. A lot of these organizations out there are scaling very, very well, very methodically. And I remember when, you know, a hundred million dollar RIA was enormous. It was absolutely enormous. And now there's a lot of talk of really, should I start building out an RIA at a hundred million dollars? Is it, is it actually, is that attainable? Is that something that, that really works? And I think it's actually creeping up to maybe even two or even 300 million in some cases. I think it's, again, a scale play over time. And and as these larger organizations continue to grow, they're going to continue to build scale. And it makes it a very attractive offering for these, these advisors that are running, you know, 50, 100, 200 million dollars that they can plug into an organization. The key in my mind is going to have to be remain independent, give that open arch- open, excuse me, open architecture a fair amount of uh, scale around the offering and, and allow an ecosystem um, for advisors that enables that advisor to have a great deal of flexibility, control, and agility, but yet be part of a larger organization. I think it's going to just continue to kind of build upon itself over time. Yeah, Matt, one thing I would just put in the background too is, you know, we talk about M&A, we talk about the number of firms in the business. I think if you look at the other end of it, right, which is probably the most important part, there are so many people who need financial advice or will need financial advice who are not getting it right now. And as large as the industry is, it's still providing services to a really small part of the population. So I think to your point, Rob, just about scale, as you start to see companies scale their operations a little bit more, especially, and you saw a lot of deals last year and this year that are focused on bridging the gap between retirement and wealth, right? If somebody can crack the code there, I think you will start to see more people get lower cost, maybe lower touch, of course, advice in the process, but reach a lot more people, have deeper share of wallet. And obviously that's good for the business too. So I still think that the independent advice channel is really young. It's matured a lot, but there's a lot of room for the industry to continue to grow. I totally agree with that, Mark. I, I think it's there's so much so much opportunity out there, particularly on the retirement side that hasn't really been tapped into. I, I hear you guys wholeheartedly. I, this has been such a great conversation and thank you both for your time today. I do have one more segment for us to go to and that's 
everyone's favorite segment where my nine-year-old son gets to ask a, one final question from you both. Um, now, Mark, I told him I was talking to you. He knows that I've known both of you guys for a while now. So this question is certainly making me a little bit nervous. <laughs> As it should. Is this it sh PG, PG-13? What, what, what's the rating on it? Well, he just, by the way, he just asked me if I could remove the the parental guidance because he wanted to watch some other anime. And I'm really nervous about that. I do not want to remove. He's nine years old. No. Oh my gosh. Anyway, he says, uh, Mr. Bruno, he's very respectful. I like that. My dad's talked about you a lot. I want to know if you have any embarrassing story. Oh, golly. I wonder if you have any embarrassing stories that I can uh, use to tease him with. So I'll ask his question. I'll go with a semi-embarrassing story that you, you could share with TJ. Uh, I think you want to, there are so many, it's hard to just pick one. But uh, I'll pick one that you know, was just a lightened the mood quite a bit. I remember getting ready for a huge call with a new client, being a little intimidated by the whole process, grossly overprepared for it, get in the conference room, and this was pre-Zoom, right? Dial into our conference call, the number, and before the 10 people you know, from our new client got on the line, I dialed in early, of course, you're on the line with like four other coaches from the baseball league that you guys are in. And you're making contingency plans, right, for rainouts and who's <laughs> going to be able to play at what field, what color uniforms you guys should be wearing. And I just uh, listened silently for a minute because I couldn't believe it was actually happening right now. And then the client dialed in. Right. So we're all on the line with you, your coaches, your league and all of that. And I didn't really know the smoothest way to break that up. <laughs> so I remember just coming around the bend, going to the office where I knew you were and politely giving you one of the dirtiest looks I could ever give. You know? <laughs> Golly. And then the I'm just, I have to admit, I'm just glad you didn't tell. Uh, there's so many embarrassing stories oh, yeah. that you have on me that yeah. I'm just really glad now, Rob, you and I have been working together a while now. You don't have anything equally that's going to make me cringe and fall into the desk, no, do you? I don't. You know, I'm trying to think. I mean, I, I, the, the one I started with, which is you doing your first Zoom call with us with a laptop that's like on your chest and it looks like you're falling asleep. That's, that's about it. That's all I have so far in the last like four or five months you've been with us. But I'm sure that I'll, you know, the next time I'm on, I'm sure we'll have a little bit more. Yeah, and believe me, Mark's got more like to really embarrass me. So he can probably send you a few. Me being really excited about a new logo, and it looked like the person in the logo was taking their clothes off. So I'm telling you, he's got plenty of good stories. Where Mark and I once were at a wedding where it was like 11 people at this wedding. It was equally very, very odd and very strange. So there's plenty of good stories to go around. <laughs> Thank you both so much. Mark, thank you for not sharing the really, really difficult stories. I appreciate that. Thank you both so much. Some great insights here today and always great to connect here for Integrated Partners. I'm Matt Ackerman. Content in this material is for general information only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance referenced is historical and is no guarantee of future results. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Integrated Partners, a registered investment advisor and separate entity from LPL Financial. 
Mark Bruno is a consultant with Echelon Partners and is a separate entity and not affiliated with Integrated Partners in LPL Financial.